0: Anyways, so I've, um, we're good. We're, we're live. We're loud. Um, you know, so, you know, stop doing things, stop uh, chewing on a microphone, Brent, and, yep. uh, get the baby out of your lap.
1: we Will do. Okay.
0: So, uh, this is episode 24 of the hot Owl. Um, you know, I think at some point, Brent, I think we're going to have to stop counting. Is this the, this is kind of like what happens with a baby, right? We're like at 24 months. You can stop saying months and and uh, you have to say like years, right? So now it's just like we have episodes and they just keep going. So,
1: but I'd like more. it. I like hearing what episode we're on. It's impressive yeah. when I hear like the one eighties, like the Tech we trust. Those guys, like, yeah, it's impressive, man.
0: Well, yeah. So we'll we'll keep doing it. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. Fred already ruined a bunch of other stuff for us. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, episode twenty four, and uh, it is, again the hot aisle, and um, I am Brian Carpenter. And my call. Brent Piotti, yeah.
2: Hey, Brent.
1: Maybe so, we could stop uh, introducing ourselves. I don't know. And it's just cool. like build that I, into an intro. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we're going I gonna, think
2: it's part of your shtick. Like it you got to keep it up. Or maybe I'm just defending the fact that I've done it for over 100 episodes now.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Here's Mr. 100 episodes. So, you know what? You, go, you just drop that. You, you settle down there, guest. We want to tell everybody <laughs> something. Um, the goal of the show is to. It's to really have some more fun uh and talk about the open source community um specifically you know the reason for the season I don't care what your what your what your plan is what your you know whatever it is however you decorate um we don't have any rules around that. The reason for the season is commitments right and we're gonna talk about open source and we're gonna talk about commitments and what what that's all about and uh community in general and we're gonna talk a little bit about this uh new stuff. From Intel uh, called Snap, and we're going to learn what telemetry is. So that's the goal of the show this week. And because of that goal, we had to go find somebody who knew stuff about that because we don't. So we have with us Matt Brender. Matt, thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, Brian, Brent, it's such a pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: And so uh, Matt it joins us right now. Matt, you're um go ahead and tell us. Why don't you? You know what? You're better at introducing yourself than we are, so why don't you go ahead and tell us where you're joining us from this month.
2: Sure, sure. I'm physically in Portland, Oregon, where I am coming out to visit my colleagues at Intel. I'm part of the Software Defined Infrastructure team. And we are the ones that Open Source Snap, a telemetry framework that we'll get into a bit later. But I joined just recently, about a month and a half ago, as the developer advocate for the SCI team. And our scope is focused on automation, orchestration, and schedulers. And really looking at how does Intel influence a software story um, using open source technologies. So that's where I fit. And then what I was joking about before, I'm on the podcast The Geek Whispers with Amy and John. Um, that we're we need to get some collaboration across these podcasts in the near future. Just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, and we're, uh, yeah, we need to talk about podcasts later. But you know, keep going.
2: Yeah, no, and, and really, I a goofy idea came up last year to get people to learn get together, and lo and behold, it turned into commitments Round Two this year. That is just a really phenomenal program that I'm excited to to talk about.
0: And so uh, we'll, we'll get into all of that kind of stuff. You, I mean, you've really rocketed through the ranks um, as far as uh, your career here. I I met you, I met you roughly three something plus years ago. um, And we met through the EMC elect program. You worked at EMC. Uh, I still work here. Um, You, you somehow launched out of EMC elect and your career here and into multiple different awesome jobs. Um, I've been impressed with every single one. And this one's, Amazing, um, so you know I, I was I was really intrigued by Basho. I loved Santa Basho, by the way, love Santa Basho. Um, he's got a special spot on my laptop. Um, very but, happy. you know what were what was uh, Basho all about for you?
2: Oh sure. I mean, I, I've been really, really lucky and uh, happy about the people I've been able to learn from through the years. So previous to Intel, I was at Basho where it was the first time I earned the title Developer Advocate. And, I mean, what we were doing there is focused on distributed systems. And the way we did that, though, what we actually delivered was open source software that had some uh, paid for services on top of it to give it a little bit more pizzazz. Um, There's a distributed database that falls into the NoSQL category and then a distributed object store. Uh, and then we were working on some integrations with uh, Redis as a caching tier and other big data applications like Apache Spark for analytics. So just, I got exposed very quickly to a ton of concepts that just were mind-blowingly interesting. And they hired me, though, because I know how to build community. And you're, you're talking about EMC Elect. Um, I had the opportunity at EMC to build basically an, an advocacy program inside and outside the company uh, that was called EMC Elect. And because of that, it was uh, I, I thought it extended very naturally into open source, and that's why I pivoted that direction.
1: It sounds like you've done a lot of stuff at EMC. You've you've spoke at EMC World um, uh, recently. You spoke at Velocity Conference. Um, so you you've definitely got you got a presence out there in the community. You built a great name for yourself. Um, I kind of want to go back a little bit further, though. You know, you you have a uh if you look at your you know kind of your whole pedigree and then your your education, a computer science major uh by trade uh and it doesn't look like there's ever been any gaps in technology for you um <laughs> this is so I, funny.
2: It's so funny points. to hear what it looks like on paper cuz man it doesn't <laughs> feel that way in reality. Well, and what, what do you
0: Yeah, what what he means is that like you, you know, straight basically from college you haven't done a job that basically wasn't a tech job. Like, I mean, dude, I worked at little Caesars, you know, pizza, pizza, pan, pan, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, like I bag stuff at Kroger and like even out of college, like, I mean, I, I've had crazy jobs that, you know, like warehouse jobs and all sorts of stuff. And you're like, "Mm, I went to, I went to college. I got an awesome computer science degree and then I came out and I created EMC elect. And then, you know, like, and then at some point I got nominated for the Nobel prize, but I lost to some dude who like, you know, stopped global warming. You know, it's like you you have this (laughs) amazing resume. So we, we, we kind of were really intrigued by the fact that there's nothing
2: in there that's not tech. Um, wow! It's a, I mean, it's yeah. a pretty,
0: pretty awesome. It's a pretty awesome pedigree.
2: That's interesting. Well, uh, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to reflect a little bit. Uh, I'm also going to be really, really honest and say I went to a liberal arts college. I had no idea what I was going to study, um, and I majored in psychology at first, and then started taking philosophy courses, and then basically, I think this just tells a lot about me. Somebody said that it was hard to do a computer science course there. So I'm like, hmm, might as well try it then if it's hard. And I just loved it. It was really fun. We were making this little, we were programming these silly little robots in Java to go find things. Uh, so it was like very, very trivial AI. And I just fell in love with that idea. Um, and I'd just been, I just wanted to hack on computers ever since. But uh, my real passion was actually the data center. I worked at the IT shop and worked with the team that ran what seemed to me to be the biggest data center in the world, but was actually like a, a half a rack compared to the stuff that we we saw at EMC. Um, and I just thought it was so cool how there's all these systems that are they actually exist, and without them, we don't have all the services that we take for granted. So I just wanted to figure out how it worked.
1: Yeah, I think you have you have the same curiosity that. A majority of our guests have had um, in particular I can think of like Mitch Hashimoto you know he started off not in in computer science and had a big background in development and he's like eh, this will be easy and then he realized it's actually quite tough right and then you look at the likes of Steve Francia from Docker or formerly Docker I think he was a philosophy major yeah. right, to begin with yeah it was a, right? and a lot, he's like
0: a lot of parallels yeah, and yeah he's like, really dude,
1: that's it's awesome yeah that actually helps me be a better developer um, so- it, it
2: absolutely does. I mean, what, what got me back into enjoying development, what you don't see in that resume is I graduated and the only thing I was sure of was that I didn't want to code professionally. I just, <laughs> it just sounded so depressing, uh, the idea of 40 hours in a cube. And you guys, you guys know me in person. I'm, I am more extroverted than I like to admit, and I would die a very, very lonely death doing that on my own. Um, little did I know that jobs like my current one even exist, so I just assumed I had to go elsewhere, and uh, I, I pivoted into more infrastructure because it seemed to be more sociable. Uh, but now, you know, years later, I kind of figured out that without the social side, this technology stuff doesn't work at all. And there's a lot of opportunity to be socially focused, and community focused is what we usually call it. But it's really about people and social interactions um, inside and outside your company and figuring out how to map that to technology benefits for the business and for individuals. So, yeah, I didn't know this stuff existed, which I I think is actually the coolest part of where our industry is going.
1: Yeah, we're learning every day, man. So kind of a segue off of the computer science stuff. Uh, So I do a segment called This Week in Tech History. So uh, this week in December 1965, the first computer science degree was awarded to Richard Wexel Blatt after his doctoral dissertation at the University of Pennsylvania, which was the Moore School of Electrical Engineering. So uh, that's interesting, right? I I guess 1965 was was the first year that that thing came out. This guy subsequently wrote a book called The History of Programming Languages, which was released not too long ago, back in uh, the middle of 2014. So, First question you, have you read that book or have you heard of it?
2: I have not. And you know what? I haven't read a ton on the history of programming languages. Um, but I'm, I've been more and more curious lately, especially as you see kind of the splintering of, of these different languages that are very popular and interesting. And I love the way that maps to what kind of you know, products and projects come out of that language. It's interesting to see like whether we're making duplicate efforts across these different platforms or or something else but but I digress I haven't read that book um, but programming languages isn't it crazy computer science as a major only fifty years old yeah
0: yeah well I mean considering this week i saw I saw a tweet with a picture in it that showed like a it was the same building in probably in New York uh, and it was a, a huge computer being delivered into a building. And it was like, so-and-so's computer. It was in a crate, the size of what you would think is like the back of those, um, driving billboards. It was about that size of a crate and, um, they were dragging it into a building and it probably had like 2k of Ram and a two Hertz processor. And they had a picture of a the new $5 raspberry Pi next to it in kind of on the exact same building and holding it up in the same spot uh, based on that old black and white picture. And it was like then versus now. Right. So whatever that (laughs) was 50 years ago, it was an entire room had like 50 people moving into the building and it was super underpowered compared to this raspberry Pi $5 computer that he was holding in his hand and had like basically three chips on it. Right. So, you know, thank you innovation. It's super, you know, it's super, it's amazing how fast we're moving. Um, I wonder if his degree was based on like punch cards, as compared to like, was it a little bit more advanced than that?
2: In the sixties, yeah, yeah, I think punch cards are likely. Yeah, uh, it's it's really there's just so much of our industry is standing on the shoulders of giants, and I I appreciate that every time like you go through like a TCP/IP stack or or you start talking storage protocols and you realize that the very base of it are just these these simple concepts that someone agreed to early on and codified and then people layer on top of it to this incredibly resilient infrastructure that we call the internet, which, you know, that's insane. Um, but then there's all these little ideas that break off of that and turned into so many different subspecialties.
0: Uh, and it is, and speaking of subspecialties, we're going to move towards back towards that thing that you kind of learned to specialize in, right? So, which is open source. Um, so, you know, the first thing is, what, why don't you go ahead and tell us, you know, what you think this kind of, this open source thing is doing, right? I've seen a lot of articles recently. Um, where do you, like, again, you said you were kind of lucky to get into it, or maybe you're fortuitous in knowing you really needed to do something like this. Um, what are you seeing right now as far as open source? And where do you think the next iteration of this whole trend
2: is? Sure, sure. Yeah, I would say if, if I have any expertise, it's in community building. And what I wanted to do was really pivot that to open source communities. So I'm still new to the open source side of the puzzle. So in the last few years, um, more and more of enterprise IT has been dominated by open source projects and their effect on technology stacks. And what I'm seeing is this diverse set of specialties blooming out. And I'm thinking more from like a peer-to-peer angle. Let's talk nerd-to-nerd. And think, what is the opportunity for us as individuals who like technology? And it's figuring out which of these tribes we want to be a part of and influence. And what's amazing about it is that you're able to see everything and also affect it. So whether you take OpenStack and the fact that you can crawl through the code and teach yourself how it works, or you can crawl through the documentation and improve it as you use it, those two sides of the fence is, is really powerful, whether that's actually OpenStack or Docker or things coming out of HashiCorp or th- things that we're building at Intel. Link- open source is democratization um, and also empowerment. There's more of this uh, immediacy that you can get out of it that I th- think you know is satisfying to people.
0: Okay. And so, you know, I wanted to ask you specifically about open source, um, especially when you talk about democratization and things like that. And thanks for tying yourself back to yet another episode. I love the, I love the little <laughs> tiny trends and the, like the. I don't know the relationships between different conversations. The ribbon, it is there's like a ribbon that runs through every conversation, and there's there's always that one thing. For instance, you know, snap being written, uh, a lot of snap being written in Go, uh, from my understanding. And the 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 run that we've heard of people talking about Go is very compelling to think about. But back to open source, um, we see somebody like and you mentioned OpenStack. You see somebody like Bank of America who said, "Hey, we took open source." Um, we, we, we forked the code for, for OpenStack and we improved on everything and we fixed it. Um, but yet they didn't give it back right now. All of a sudden mm-hmm. it's critical to their business and they're not allowed to share it. Uh, I mean, doesn't that break the entire spirit of what open source is? Why? Like, what do you feel about when people do that? Cause somebody says, Hey, I grabbed snap. I added a bunch of stuff into it, but I can't tell you what I did.
2: Well, yeah, there's not just one spirit and one purpose for open source software. I think there, there's two main elements that I really appreciate. One is actually sharing the source code uh, and sharing it under a license that allows others to take advantage of it. So taking advantage of it in many ways, like Apache 2 license gives people the opportunity to productize on top of that. And we don't live in just the society that we get paid to share code for free. At some point, someone's going to monetize something. And if they have to do that uh, through open source and extending it and adding value, I actually find that to be an incredible business model. Red Hat's shown it successful. I was previously at Basho, which has done a wonderful job of it. And I think there's a place for that, especially if demand um, requires it. What's interesting though is if you wanna be influential in an open source community and its code base and the people using that code, you have to separate what is mission critical from what is you know what's mission critical for you making money versus what is valuable to the platform and should be returned to that ecosystem, uh, the idea of what like a rising tide rises all boats um, or some phrase that I just brutalized, uh, it, it's this idea that you can make everyone more effective at using something like Kubernetes by committing upstream or go by improving runtimes. Um, and then you're adding value in some other way as a business. Uh, and I, I think that that's crucial to separate those two things. Cause when you start misappropriating them for each other, you get into this idea of like everything I touch that's code, I have to keep now internally cause that's proprietary. And that's a, a foolish or I believe naive view of how to, how this ecosystem is playing out.
1: Yeah. I also think that in the community as well, there's, um, there is a there is a level of expectation that if you are going to be a part of the community, that you should you should help, and that doesn't mean you have to commit code. That means you could look through documentation. You could you could do small things if you if you can't contribute in other ways. Um, so if if the Bank of America's of the world, for instance, are are taking that and making that part of their IP, um, I think there's probably some level of expectation that at some point they do filter that back into the open source. uh, Or or let's
2: dig into that just a little bit deeper, Brent. Let's say that you and I start a business and we fork OpenStack and we add some stuff on top of that. Um, Are we selling OpenStack and what we've added on top at the end of the day? If yes, then yeah, it should probably be private because that is our secret sauce. If no, if that's just part of how we run our business and we actually have some interesting algorithms and other work on top of it, Open source the things that you've added and push it upstream. Add value to the ecosystem. Yep, it, it's, it's a really simple train of thought in my, in my head. Uh, and when you look at it that way, it, it simplifies some of this. And I think just most companies are wrapping their heads around it, but some are slower to get there.
0: Yeah, and I, it, it, it's not to necessarily uh, specifically bash that bank. It was more of the, the thought process of, and, and frankly, in their situation, my guess is there's a uh, a lawyer or a risk compliance officer somewhere that said, it's really cool that you did this, but you can't give it back. Uh, and they probably, maybe even somebody wanted to, so we don't know the intent of it. Um, it was more of the fact that I read an article that said that they'd, quote unquote, f- like fixed kind of key elements or, you know, and made it more consumable. And to me, it's like, if you made it more consumable, man, somebody got you 95% of the way to where you wanted to be. And you took yourself the next five, you know, give the five back so that everybody else can enjoy it. And I understand that, uh, maybe, maybe some lawyer told him not to, but it sure would be cool if that kind of went away. Um, and it's sure. interesting. It's interesting to see lawyers, uh, as much as we're trying to learn more about open source and understand the impact of open source and closed source, and and you know where the where that line is between uh, novel and what you're selling as your secret sauce, and the stuff that is kind of unor- unoriginal or shared between everybody. Um, man, the lawyers are even having to kind of learn this as we go, um, and companies are trying to get into this and understand it and see how it impacts their IP and their business as a whole. Uh, I feel like that's a whole other industry uh, of just you know getting lawyers up to speed with what this this IT industry is shaping up to be
2: without a doubt and i can only imagine the army of lawyers you have when you deal with people's finance financial information so yeah. i admire everyone digging into this and being part of it uh, a lot of kudos to people to teams like target who you know they figured out a way to make it work they give back in the devops community space But then they they use it, they justify it corporate-wise, at least from what I've seen at the tech conferences in the past year, as a recruiting opportunity. They're there with the booth saying, be part of this cool culture and come sign up to work with us. And that's brilliant. And that's one way in which you can see this more in a utilitarian ends of giving back to a community, which I don't think that's all it is. But I think it's also not something we should shy away from and be honest about reflecting on its effect on the business.
1: Why do you think Matt that um, that these these huge organizations like the Netflix uh, of the world right with OSS um, with Microsoft now opening up their frameworks and, and and Swift and Apple and all that kind of stuff and hell even EMC right just making uh, EMC code and all the stuff we're doing like why is that all of a sudden coming to a head what is it about now that's making this so game changing and companies just absolutely want to do it.
2: Wow. That is so above my expertise. <laughs>
0: are they, uh, I mean, maybe it, is it a question of, do they want to do it versus are they almost being uh, compelled by the industry? Like, I mean, are they, I wonder how many of those companies are running versus like running to versus kind of being dragged into just because it's a necessity to, to compete in this environment.
1: Well, I mean, just yeah. think about Netflix, though, right? I mean, that was their core IP. And they're just like, well, we're going to start giving it out. And they're giving it out in swaths and swaths and huge chunks, right? Very, oh, very but quickly.
2: But that's where I firmly disagree. It's not their IP at all. It's software they developed inside with their engineers. But their IP is actually in getting you to binge watch the latest <laughs> episodes of something, Arrested Development. Uh, like, that's, that's what their IP's in. Um, their software empowers that and the more they externalize it, they get a couple things. They get the recruiting aspect that is pretty obviously effective and they get the the audience acquisition but I think recruiting is kind of king there. But then to some degree, if you can manage an open source project well, you also get external expertise where somebody finds some solution to a problem that you didn't even realize you had and you don't know what you don't know and People need to write better software. We all know that, <laughs> but how to? Like sometimes you just need somebody who has a good reason to fix something.
1: Yeah, it's just been interesting to watch. I think that those things have helped propel where we're going with just open source. Without a doubt, so it's great to see.
2: So, so, so when you think oh, yeah, Brian, I just wanted to say uh, there's there's a couple different angles too, right? Like you can think bottom up. People want individuals, individual developers. And people like ourselves want to share. We're inclined to share. We see the benefit to us personally and professionally. So there's that sort of upward momentum. Um, and then downward, Like it, there, maybe it's a little cargo culting that people see everyone else doing it, so they're going to do it. Um, maybe there's uh, some greater business value to see. Uh, I guess I'm not actually questioning it too much just yet. I'm just happy people are because I think it has a huge impact.
0: So, do you think? Uh, speaking of looking at it from different angles, do you um, do you see anything where there's maybe different types of projects or different types of uh, businesses in general have different types of communities forming? Um, whether it be a you know a heavily uh, externally committed type project versus uh, somebody who's put their stuff out there to bring uh, customers in or partner like kind of alliance partners in to help develop on their product. Um, you know, are there different types of open source communities or different flavors? Um, it, you know, what do you see?
2: Oh, man, absolutely. There are as many uh, and probably more than I've seen. The But the there's a couple. There's like one pretty controversial line I want to draw, actually. there There's those that put their code publicly, usually on GitHub. Let's just put that out there. GitHub is the platform of choice for sharing code. If you're on Bitbucket, you know, I have all the respect to the Lassian team, but even you should migrate to GitHub. Um, so there are people that just put their code out there, and then there are people that put code out there and have the documentation that's really crisp, and have people that respond to every issue and every pull request that people open up and merge and have practices and branching strategies. So the difference there is the difference between just, you know, making your code public in what I would call like actually running an open source project and curating code. And I really want to draw that difference because I've noticed it more and more lately as people share more code online. There are some that are doing it with, I mean, I think everyone's doing it with good intentions, but I think only a small proportion of people are doing it in a way that effectively builds community and builds great software going forward as opposed to just the drop in the bucket of of the internet.
1: What about what about people on GitHub, for instance, that that share the code to make the best meatballs in the world?
2: That sounds delicious.
0: (laughs) I I feel mocked. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I feel mocked. Uh, Look, I mean, somebody's (laughs) got to learn Markdown at some point. But thanks for making fun of me on my (laughs) journey. Um, So you know, back to back to reality. Um, As we, when you look at these projects and the difference, obviously, if you put it out there and then you create a project. Do you see any any differentials between like how many people have committers that are, I guess, inside their org versus outside? Um, or is it I mean, is it that does that really matter where the committers exist and who's allowed to actually commit versus you know, people who can fork and simply just do a pull request or whatever it may be? Is there is there a differential there? Does that change the success of the project in your mind?
2: Yeah, I think it has a huge impact. Um but maybe that would just be to those that are looking closely. Um, so there are projects that are pretty much owned by certain companies. Like React, the database we're working on at Basho, that's that's 99% maintained by Basho employees. That said, external commits, external issues, those are accepted. And uh, many of the PRs end up being merged in. So the maintainers are primarily owned by an organization but the external structure allows for other people to influence it, um, and that sort of uh, negotiation of, of who is the maintainer versus who is allowed to commit versus who's just kind of the speculate or the the people watching, um, the spectators that that has an impact uh, in who feels you know one project is worth their time and another project isn't. Like, do I spend an afternoon on a Saturday writing code to try to get it merged into? into Docker or into uh, OpenStack, That question would make me go look at who's committing what, um, how clear is the process from having an issue to getting a pull request, to getting that merged after a code review and tested. So I'd want to understand the process. Um, So I think if the goal is to get more active uh, external contributions, you have to be really clear with the practices. But uh, whether it's... a a definite success or a failure i think that's uh oversimplifying it
0: okay and so I, I apologize i was trying to figure out the next question here so i i can't really tell 100 if i've asked you this or you know but when we talk about the community do you have any specific things in your mind like your specialty where you're like this is the way i think an open source community should has this element or this couple of things that I'm going to do different or that I already do
2: different than the next guy? No, uh, you haven't asked that. And I, I think that's, that's really important to think about. What are my expectations and what do I expect other people to expect from me? Um, because fundamentally, code, open source code is social. You're taking part in a social interaction with people. And you need to think of what do they expect if they're a user or if they're a contributor or if they want to be a maintainer. Um, And I think if there's any one guideline to give out there, it's just be clear. Like, really take the time to write down what that is. Like, tell people what branch people are committing code to and how to get code reviewed and who is the maintainer. And don't just put one person's name because it's going to change over time. Like, have a team. Uh, And think through some of these longer term and shorter term efforts and just make it, and then also make it fun. Like, people do this on their free time, and it it shouldn't just feel like another job that you're committing to. It should be something that, like, there are real people behind all of these code bases, and I think that's really important to let personality shine through as well.
1: Yeah, I think that anyone that, that just follows you in general, uh, listens to the show, has, has seen your presence online. Definitely knows that you're you're all about community and giving back. Um, and, and recently, you know, Brian introduced me to commitments. and nice. I was like, "What in the world is that?" So I went and checked it out, and uh, I was I read through the GitHub page and I saw, "Hey, this is beginner. This is me. I can do this." But uh, for those out there that that don't know a lot about commitments, Tell us about it this is this is your this is your kind of giving back to the community and building community so what is it? what motivated you to do it and uh, how's it doing?
2: Sure, sure so commitments is uh, it just really started out as a pun uh, that it was a, around the holiday season a couple years ago or I guess just last year, oh my goodness, time flies um, and I realized that I was getting decent at git but not good enough to to really step up my game. Uh, and I learned just so much faster from working with others. And it, it was pretty obvious from Twitter conversations that everyone was trying to pick up this, uh, this set of skills. Um, so I just wanted to bring people together and focus not on learning Python or Ruby or any coding language or any framework, but just the basics, like th- the crap that makes all this stuff glue together and make it fun. And that's Git, GitHub, and Markdown. Uh, so you know, peel away the rest of the onion and just focus on those core principles so that we can all start building together. So made a made a repository, invited some people to a Slack channel uh, to communicate, and it was like a good fifteen twenty of us talking about Git for for twelve days last year, um, and just making sure we commit every week, just editing a Markdown file, you know, doing a Git commit uh, after adding it and pushing it to the to the upstream master. Um, So it was just about repetition and working together. Um, But that extended into something way bigger than I imagined when the V Brown Bag crew uh, that I'm happy to be um, friendly with and associated with at times, they wanted to pick it up and make it bigger and extended it into a 30-day, everyone um, sharing how they use Git and how we can learn more together. So there's about 30 people speaking almost every day throughout December on real specific cases of how to use Git and GitHub, and make us all a lot better at it. And it's just, I, I'm really impressed with the people that came out and, and made that happen.
1: That's awesome. So you're you're basically spearheading that. And uh, are, are you lining up speakers? The V Brown Bag helping you take care of that. Uh, how do you how do you kind of weave that into uh, you know apart from your daily job? But are you doing this kind of full time? Oh well, not full time,
2: no. but you're 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 <laughs> managing it, right? No, uh, actually, to be totally honest, I'm not. Uh, this was something that um, Jonathan Frappier from the V Brown Bag crew and Rob Nelson, just a, a friend online, they both said this needs to come back this year. Uh, they participated last year. We learned get together. We kept coding and communicating, and then uh, Cody Bunch, you know, the spiritual leader of V Brown Bag, also spoke up and said, we need to get this going. Um, And one GitHub issue and about like 75 comments from a ton of community members later, it turned into a month-long thing that those two have mostly managed. Um, I just, I I gave the idea and I was very, very honest and said, I'm way too busy right now with starting a new job and launching a new project. Um, I'll be the first to speak and I'll happy to, you know, check pull requests as they come in, but I, I can't do it.
0: Well, that's awesome. I mean, you you kicked it off, right? So you know you kind of gave it the uh, the official brender blessing, and then uh, <laughs> sent it on its way, and, and it became its own thing. And it's uh that's a pretty that's a pretty true spirit of a community project, right? It was something that was something you sort of created. People liked it. They uh, ad libbed onto it, made it bigger, uh, created a program around it, and now you're you're involved, but you're not even having to drive it, and it's growing without you.
2: Yeah, no, you're dead on. And what was That's just as hard as it should be, right? Because I was actually kind of, I dug the project. I actually wanted to make this year commit maca and keep going through the holidays. And, uh, (laughs) and lo and behold, other people really liked the idea and wanted to run with it. And I had to be like, all right, well, can I do this on my own? Or should I let it be bigger and other people run it? Like, can I give away my baby here? And the answer was yes. It would be infinitely better if I didn't hold it too close to my chest and, and I'm so happy uh, that the the guys and, and women that came together and have put this together just have made an amazing repository of knowledge for those that want to learn Git.
0: And 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 by the way, before anybody hears this, you need to go out and uh, get the commitmica Twitter handle because that's genius. So. <laughs> you, yeah, okay. I, I think I think you have at Commitmas, so I'm I'm pretty sure you might want to go grab at Commitmica before somebody else does and 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 yeah. riffs off you. So either done way, it you, hey you have about you have about 12 hours, so get to it. Yeah, um, what's
2: great is also I mean I was raised Jewish, I celebrate Hanukkah, and started commitments and it's taken off. So there there's some great <laughs> uh, great interreligion. Uh, spiritualization here. It's about the community spirit, not about the specific religion. I'm
0: sitting here, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to make one work with Buddha because I love that dude. He's so cute and chubby. So, (laughs) you know, he he reminds me of me. So, um, you know, and I really think that it's uh, pretty interesting. Like, you know, the the drive to create a good habit and kind of learn things over a 30 day period. It's a very interesting program. You know, it's very similar to even what people do with like workout programs, right? Just 20 minutes a day, you know, four days a week and you know, you'll get into shape or whatever. Right. So you're like the, you're like the P90 X of GitHub, you know, or some, <laughs> so
2: that's interesting. It's really, you know, if there's anything I've learned from uh, everyone that I've been fortunate enough to meet online, it's actually this, this, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Now I'm distracted by the dog. Yeah, the dog's got to go. <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah, but she's You're so cute. cute. Oh, she is. Um, let me start that over. I don't know if you do any editing. Nope. Well, <laughs> there we <go. laughs> there's that. There's that. So anyway, what what it really shows me is accountability, and there's something to having other people help you be accountable. I I want to learn so much stuff all the time. I have a laundry list of technologies I'm trying to learn up on. Uh, But I realized when I try to do all of them myself all at once, I learn nothing. So it's really about serializing it, putting one at a time in front of you, and then finding a group of people that want to learn it with you, and finding a program. So if commitments can be that for people, then we've done something really special. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity to fill the gaps in in every technology. So if
1: you look at... um you know the, the kind of the culmination of, of everything you've done you you've kind of been a, a, a self-made millionaire if you will you are self, self-taught um, a result of all this learning has led you to Intel right and again you're you're working on the SCI team as a developer advocate um, you're you're probably the third or fourth developer advocate that we've had on the podcast so uh, we've right. asked each one of these people like what is your uh, definition of a developer advocate so what, what is yours?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, a developer advocate in my world is somebody that is focusing on a story for, for others. And the story, in my case, I love to span the gap between internal teams, which is why being back in a large corporation that has a lot of different stakeholders internally is so interesting. How do we tell the right story to our colleagues from a technology angle? Um, and get them on board to help us build that technology. But also how do we do that externally and build community through open source software. So I, I like the term advocacy over evangelism um, for the for the purpose that I think advocacy uh, denotes this idea of others focusing on them as opposed to me being the subject matter expert standing in front shouting. I do that sometimes and I enjoy it, to be totally honest. Uh, but if I'm not telling somebody else's story and re- really representing a larger group of people that have done amazing things, then I think I'm doing it wrong. Um so I think that's the core of it.
1: And oh specifically- that's great. Go, go ahead, ahead
0: No, we're gonna fight over it. Let's uh, this is what happens <laughs> when we don't communicate. So um specifically at Intel, um what are you what are they what are you being tasked to do? Is it it's uh when I mean, you're you're part of that team there. Uh, and that team's got probably more than one thing going on, although we we know of one today. What all have you been kind of tasked to do? And is that uh, it's probably evolving, isn't it?
2: Sure, sure. I, I've been given a lot of freedom uh, within the realm of our our charter, which is you know focused on automation, orchestration, and schedulers. Uh, So we have committers to Kubernetes and Mesos. We have people that are very familiar with automation platforms. Um, We are building very cool things like Snap and other projects that you are definitely going to want to hear about. Um, But what I personally am doing is I started out just filling the gaps on making sure that community can be created, uh, which meant going through and really experiencing the project as a user and as a developer and then just being the cheerleader of all the documentation. Um, in, in the month I was at, uh, in the first month I was at Intel, we wrote, we went from about a hundred lines of doc pages to 10,000 lines of doc pages in readmes. And that was, you know, I, that's not because of me purely. But that is definitely the effort that I was behind and uh, and rallying. I wrote some of it. A lot of people wrote more than I ever could know possible. But because of that, I think it's that's why we've been able to be trending in the Go GoLang community and be getting the the sort of following we're getting right out the gate because we put the, the diligence into that. From here, I, I want to get down to the technical specs and building out some great demos of how to use the project and telling great stories. So there's going to be a lot of conference talks. I want to write, deliver myself and help other people deliver.
0: And that's awesome. So is there like, when you talk about that advocacy and, and, uh, uh, evangelism, um, with a company as large as Intel, obviously the, the ship doesn't turn quickly. Um, there's certainly challenges with old, the old world and the new world. um, uh, do do you find that you're going to end up having to somewhat advocate and evangelize internally as well as externally do you is that part of what you guys are working on or
2: oh 100% and i don't even think i think when you have over 10 people in a single room in a single location you have to think of advocacy as both an internal and external interface uh internally it's it's huge to uh, to think both directions. Like there's the bi-directional of how do people influence the project in meaningful ways, and how do you influence their work? Um, and you, if you do that at scale with the tens of thousands of, of people I work with now, uh, it, it can get quite interesting. Um, and you can find some really serendipitous connections that you wouldn't have explored if you weren't paying attention. So I, I'm all about actually keeping and I keeping my eyes on who to connect with internally. Uh, as well as externally, because both, um, both can add to such value for the business and for teammates and for the community at large.
1: So speaking of cl- uh, connecting to people internally, uh, we, we, we know someone by the name of Nick Weaver, and uh, he wrote a blog post, and you wrote a blog post, uh, specifically around Snap and telemetry and IRO. And when I first read uh, Nick's blog post, I was like telemetry, okay. I might understand this, and I, I immediately didn't didn't get it. But then I went to Intel's page. I actually I got it. But some guy just wrote his own uh, kind of quick blurb. It might be on Intel's um, you know actually product page. But um, so first off, what is telemetry, and then we can dig into Snap and IRL.
2: I love it. I I think it's a a tricky word, and I honestly didn't know how to parse it from performance analysis at first. But I think telemetry makes the most sense when you think of the fact that there's data in every layer of the stack these days. Um, And then the data that is just focused on the systems, the actual pieces of the hardware or the pieces of the virtualization platform that you're on, or the operating system, um, they have... Information that when parsed in meaningful ways can lead to great insights about utilization and resource management. So telemetry is the data set of those things that have to do with the hardware and software at the core of your infrastructure, as opposed to specifically the application stacks and the performance monitoring and the latency levels of your user experience. And it it gives you a, a nice line when you start thinking about like, So some Intel-specific plugins that we've written go into Node and DCM and NIC and disk stats. So the actual hardware that we've produced, we know the interfaces to go dig into them and see the utilization and maybe some other metrics that you just don't even know are there because no one's bothered to build a unified interface to it. Um, Snap, in the framework we've enabled, allows you to have collector plugins which can collect this disparate data across all our hardware as well as anyone else's hardware and display it in a single unified manner so that you can start analyzing that upstream and storing it places.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Kind of the boil down of, well, maybe let me ask you first. So there's Snap and then I keep hearing IRO or Intelligent Resource Organization. So are they the same thing or is that a Snap a branded IRO or what, what what are the differences?
2: Oh, my goodness. Um, I haven't actually focused on IRO and how to do so. I think it's a more of a superset of what you can do once you have greater insights into your data and into your platforms. Um, so I think that's when you start pulling into the orchestration and schedulers and how do you take information that you've consumed and then make smart decisions with your infrastructure about it. At least that's my, been my impression. Um, and that's separate from just the fact, like, can I get that information? Is it even available in a common pattern or library uh, in a way that is consumable? And right now, the answer has been no historically. And for the first time, we can say definitively yes. There's one framework by which you can consume all of this data. As long as we keep writing plugins and other people do that alongside us in this extensible platform we can unify and normalize any type of data across any of these platforms, and then you can push it into whatever storage device, whether object or a Kafka queue or whatever it may be downstream.
0: So, uh, and I'm going to ask you again, some of these questions we, you know, Brent and I designed as like uh, exploratory and trying to just kind of, you know, see what we can figure out on this and associate it with other things. What is it when you talk about, you know, gathering this telemetry data and there's tons of insights and essentially, you could eventually use them for, uh, you know, acting off of and making better decisions with your resource consumption. Why is, why is this not just like yet another big data thing? Is it considered like is snap? Is it intended to be stored in certain places where um, those kind of big data or lakes or other massive storage type environments are going to be able to consume that you keep it over massive amounts of times. Or do you understand it enough yet? I understand your brain—you know, relatively new there—to decide if that's you know one and the same or a
2: subset of the other. Yeah, no. Snap's part of a big data story of getting information, um, but I think really big data when you get past the you know knee jerk that we all have when we hear that term and think about what it does for you, um, it's about correlating information in new and unique ways because you've been able to gather it. If you can't gather it, you can never observe what you've done with it, and you can never learn from it. So, in order to get to the learning of big data, you have to first be able to consume it and be able to collect that in a unified way. Um, and we're it, we're just at that part of the story. Is just how do you get the information out of the system you already have? Um, and then from there, wh- what you put it into. Uh, we have collectors, or I mean the the plugins for for actually pushing data into platforms for a number of different platforms that you might consider big data, like Ceph for object storage, or Kafka is a distributed message queue that's um, used quite ubiquitously these days, or RabbitMQ. And then these things can then be pushed down to other processes that might do some data analytics or correlation or data normalization. Um, And then you're ultimately storing it somewhere persistently and maybe running some Hadoop jobs on top of it or further Spark jobs since Spark is replacing Hadoop in many ways um, in these kind of processes. So, yeah, we're we're empowering that system because you need the information to be able to get anything out of it, um, and we're trying to standardize the information.
1: Yeah, so if it's not clear, Snap is an open source project. I mean, you just tweeted about it before coming on the show. Um, I think I tweeted about it recently. Um, but if you, if you look at that project, it was just released you know, in early December and we're not far into December, but, but, uh, who's jumping on the wagon? I mean, you talked about some uh, tracking mechanism that you made, uh, for who wants to be involved. So how has that, uh, is that part of snap? Uh, or, and what are you seeing as the overall kind of, uh, interest in, in, in getting on board with using snap?
2: Sure. I mean, the really important first part is if you're interested, please get involved. Um, You know, the the whole way in which we're running it, we have maintainers from Intel. We're extending that beyond Intel um, once we really feel comfortable with the processes. Uh, But the the people that have already found use cases that are going to make it really valuable for them to get involved, um, I mean, some of it might be a little obvious. We announced this at Tectonic Summit, which is by CoreOS. CoreOS is a really interesting... Uh, startup that um, you know includes the operating system as well as some platforms on top of it, uh, and etcd for uh, distributed systems. Uh, so they see potential in using Snap as part of their framework. We haven't announced any you know, specific way yet. Uh, and if you just you know take a casual stroll through the stargazers, the people on our our repo that are watching it, which oh my god is up to 285 now you start seeing some recognizable company names. Um, you know, we're, we're not publicly collaborating with anyone yet, but uh, theres it's open source for a reason. We want people to start contributing back, and then we'll think more collaboratively on how to build something that adds value to businesses.
1: Yeah, well, I think that you guys are building the, you know, not only the APIs, but the hooks into other stuff that's huge in the community that's open source, right? If you look at Ceph, Docker, MySQL, Kafka's, the, the, the RabbitMQs, the list is, is pretty big. And if you go to GitHub, you can see that it's growing and what what's kind of in the queue. Things like Mesos, Kubernetes, and OpenStack are all like things that people want. Um, and they'll probably get to them, but um, those are huge communities in and of themselves. So, um, I, you know, I think it's just kind of cool to see this again, the open open source thing growing and 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 having ties and hooks into each other to benefit one another and ultimately is gonna benefit us, the user, the the business, uh, for whatever initiative that they have.
2: Yeah, I got a, a, a funny note on that actually. So we were thinking about where do we list out the plugin catalog, the the plugins that we're launching with. I'm like, oh, we can just put it in the main README. There's just gonna be a couple, right? And they're like, well, we have about 25 and, uh, and counting. I'm like, what? We're launching with 25 plugins already? And I start looking at these, and, like, we're able to collect from everything from Docker to other well known kind of telemetry platforms like Factor and uh, Perf Events and PSUtil and Smart, like, from your disks. Uh, and then you're able to publish to, to Raymond, to RabbitMQ, to PostgresSQL, to MySQL, to Kafka. And I'm just like, holy crap, these people are talented that I'm working with. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we came out of the gates pretty excited, to say the least. And then I love that we also have a wish list there of things that we want to start integrating with, like consuming from Mesos and, to, and producing to uh, platforms like uh, related systems. Those or might be in the same environments or and consuming from Collect D natively so that we can complement that platform since it's so ubiquitous. So it's really really fascinating as you think about the ecosystem.
0: And you mentioned you mentioned earlier uh, a, a little tidbit about uh, I don't even know how to say it right, etcd. You know, however you want to call it. Um, and my understanding is, if I remember correctly, uh, Nick posted earlier this year that you guys. Um, helped basically speed that up. Is that the right is that the right product did I get that correct?
2: Yeah, we <laughs> our hands are in many platforms making it faster because we just as you would imagine we have the talent that knows hardware better and sometimes we just have the time to figure out me- memory management a little bit more effectively. So, uh at CD, I do believe that's a, a platform that we've or a project that we've influenced that way and had some code committed into. Uh we've done the same in Kubernetes and uh, I know we've, we're doing work with Go, the programming language itself, to make it run faster. So we are, we are really influential in all the bits that make this really, really interesting. And that's why I'm part of what just has me really excited. I think there's a story about hardware and software loving each other <laughs> to make it kind of cheesy and the way in which they interact. And that's where Intel thrives. That's our story. Um, so you'll see that more and more in open source.
0: Yeah, I find that really interesting, right? So you guys were maybe using or doing something with etcd. uh, You found some things and you said, I want to, you know, I want to speed it up. Uh, And that worked. And you kind of just did it and then gave it back. Same thing with Kubernetes. Uh, Again, it's that whole open source, you know, if you use it, it, you know, if you, if you like it, use it, you know, give it back, put it back better than you found it, maybe. Um, Really, I mean, just Frankly, really cool stuff. Uh, I, you know, I would. I bet we could have a whole other conversation on when you mentioned trending in the GoLang community. Uh, you know, I find that, uh, you know, and is that just around your uh, improvements there, or is there more to that story?
2: Oh no, what I was referring to is there on GitHub. There's trending by language. They have a little interface that will show you what are the projects that are happening by language. And I, I saw in Go that Snap, our, our project, was one of the ones trending. And is becoming more and more followed because of that it's it's kind of like making it big on Twitter or, or Redis I mean excuse me uh, reddit um, you know slightly smaller audience because it's it's just the go language on github but it's still a huge honor in the first week for a project of uh, that you know is just really really exciting for us to be a part of
1: yeah it's fun to hear you know we we've heard I think Ashley McNamara kind of really brought it up like how Golang is is blown up. Um, and if you talk to some of the some of the peers, um, they 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 do they do see that, but uh, they think Java is having a resurgence too. But uh, that is a complete different discussion that uh, we could get dragged and bogged down with uh, very very quickly. But we are yeah, coming can, to yeah. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say, like on the language side, I actually I think it's important to just kind of make a decision and, and go with it if you're somebody that's trying to learn a language. Um, but I, I will say personally that I've doubled down on go as a programming language it's It's fun. The community is very open and friendly even to new new people. Um, so I think the culture of of programming languages is huge as well as their productivity for a platform. Uh, the fact that it's it's typed um, and also has nice object oriented views of it, really helpful stuff uh, and the documentation is phenomenal. so R- really, really fun language. Um, love to come back and talk more about it after I, I continue to feel competent in it, which will take me a few more months. Yeah, perfect. We'd love to. So, speaking
1: of community, let's go to uh, a different type of community, uh, and, and and let's talk about podcasts, real, real quick, because uh, we are we are nearing the top of the hour. Um, so, obviously, you're part of Geek Whispers. Um, I think podcasts are becoming uh, more and more of a big thing uh do you agree with that statement um and then if you do why do you think that's happening
2: yeah i would be crazy not to agree um i mean i think the ease by which you can produce a decent to high quality podcast is just getting there there's still a couple things when it comes to editing and and sound management that would be a little bit nicer um but the fact that we all can buy some decent microphones or even when I'm on the road with my basic, you know, Apple headphones, like you can hear me well and we can record this over Skype with these, like it just makes it natural. It makes it easy. But there's something I think more interesting in how it's just a really intimate form of communication. It's like anybody that's listening right at this instant is just having conversation with the three of us. And we all just want to be flies on the wall, listening to each other talk at times, especially as we learn new cool tech. So there's uh, a lot of a lot of potential there, um, and I, I hope people continue to explore it and improve upon it. Yeah, it's I a- think it's
1: a great way. It's a great way to just learn because you don't have to read; you can just listen. You don't have to watch something; you can just listen. Uh, and with everything continually changing around us and evolving so rapidly, um, for me, this has been a phenomenal way uh, just to, just to kind of try to keep up with, uh, with that impending wave that's going to come crashing down sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, there's also something to being a podcast host that I think is really special for people. Um, it takes a lot more energy than you'll realize, but as soon as you start doing it regularly, it is worth its weight in gold. I, I think Amy Lewis on our podcast, Geek Whispers, always says how like this is her master's class. And I realize I speak fluent marketing now because we've bantered on that show for a couple years. And it's <laughs> not because I had any training in it. It's just because we kind of had to learn the vocabulary to have a coherent conversation. Um, and even though we shifted away from that, like that stuck with me and that's now part of my skill set that I can present to anybody. Um, there's something really special about that if you're willing to put the energy into it.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's funny because after I, I, I usually have like a week of dread of like, you know, making, wanting to be well-prepared. Uh, I go through it and I have a, a great time. The time flies. And at the end of it, I have like a high where like immediately I wish I could record another one. Uh, you know, it's, it's, so it's a, it's a very enjoying, uh, format. I don't know if you feel the same way.
2: It's a great kind of addiction. I'm with you actually, uh, you know. The Geek Whispers, we've been on a little hiatus as we've all been traveling and, and jobs getting in the way, and we all jumped on a call recently and just said, "Holy crap, do I miss you guys?" Like it's just it becomes this routine that you really look forward to. Um, so it, it's very satisfying and it's worth its weight.
0: Well, we've uh, we've really come to that time, and frankly, we need to get you back to Portland. And um, you know, especially since you've got people around you. So we really appreciate all your time, Matt. Uh can't thank you enough for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you both, Brian and Brent. Uh look forward to hearing more of this and uh happy to tweet at you.
0: Yeah, so speaking of Twitter, let's let's just do this real quick. We normally do it. Um what you mentioned
2: it, but what are the what are the good ways you want people to get a hold of you? The easiest and most reliable way to communicate with me more than phone or email is Twitter at mj brender um if you if you need to send me something private just let me know and i'll follow you right right away and we can chat there um or you're welcome to read what i've been up to on my blog at uh neckbeardinfluence.com
0: and uh you're also mj brender on github so um i have a question for you though we know about neckbeard influence uh great great name what's uh i tech therefore i am what's the difference
2: uh, that is my uh, retired and archived blog. Uh, okay. Previously, awkward. Keep... Yeah, my bad. Awkward. No, you're good. Just keep evolving the name and the themes. Um, <laughs> but these things happen. That's great.
0: Okay. Well, again, thank you so much <laughs> for your time, uh, Matt. I can't uh, can't thank you enough for joining us and and teaching us more about open source. Guys, thank you so much. So, on behalf of the Hot Isle, uh, again, I, I'm Brian Carpenter. I'm Brent Piatti and uh you know please tweet us you know get a little social with us tell us what we're doing wrong tell us if you uh enjoy people having people like matt on here or if you just want to listen to me and brent talk about uh, our theory on star wars uh you know next week or whatever after we go see it and uh anyways reach out get involved we really appreciate it and uh thanks for spending your time with us